In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to continue studying the Shepherd of Hermas. Um, the Shepherd, we introduced it last week. So it's uh, writing from the first or second century. Uh, and it's, uh, not, it's not canonical, meaning we, this is not part of the Bible. We don't read this as being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it, we, we read it as beneficial, and actually the, uh, the early church um, read it a lot, and it was used um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a widespread way. Um, it's broken up into th like three main sections. The first section it has five visions. The second section, there's 12 mandates. And then the third section, there's 10 parables. And it's written by uh, this man whose name was uh, Hermas, and he was a slave. And he's recounting uh, the, the, these visions that he saw and these things that he was told um, through the work of the angels. And it is, it is written in an apocalyptic way, um, like the book of Revelation. So he's seeing these visions, and these visions are revealing things about heaven, about you know, things that are to come. Um, and, and so on. So last time we, uh, we, we spoke about the first vision um, that he saw, where he saw the appearance of this angel who was representing the church, and, and what is it that, that she showed him. So um, today we're going to continue and, and look a little bit at some of the other visions that he saw afterward. The second vision um, that Hermes records uh, happened one year later, one year after the first vision. He says, on rising from prayer, I beheld before me the elderly lady I had seen last year. This is the angel that represents the church. She was walking and reading a little book. Then she said to me, can you report this to God's elect? Lady, I said, I cannot remember so many things. Give me the book and I shall copy it. Take it, she said, and return it to me. So I took it and went to some part or other of the field and copied everything letter by letter, for I could not make out the syllables. As I finished the last letter of the book, it was suddenly snatched from my hands by whom I could not see. And the letter contained a call for repentance. So it was, it was a repentance for Hermas and his family and, uh, and also for all the people. So that was the second vision that he saw. The third vision, um, he says, I saw six young men who were commanded by the elderly lady, again, who was the church, to go away and build. After they left to do so, Hermes came down. Hermes came to sit down at the right side of this couch. So there was this couch that he saw. Uh, he sat down at the right hand of this couch. Um, after these six young men were told by this woman to go and to build, and this is what he's recounting. What he, what is it that he saw? He said, "Then when I wished to sit down on the right side, she did not allow me, but motioned with her hand to sit on the left. As I was reflecting and brooding about this, that she would not allow me to sit on the right." She said to me, you are sad, Hermas. The place of the right belongs to others who have already been pleasing to God and have suffered for his name. To sit with them, there remains much for you to do. But persist in your singleness of purpose as you do now, and you will sit with them. So also with all who do what they have, well, for all who do what they have done and who endure what they have endured. What have they endured, I said. Let me give you the list, she said. Scourgings, detention in prison, heavy afflictions, crucifixions, exposure to wild beasts for the sake of the name. For this reason, theirs is the right side of the holiness as for anyone who suffers for the name. The left side is for the rest. But the same bounty and the same promises are reserved for both those sitting on the right and those sitting on the left. Only this difference exists that those who have suffered sit at the right and enjoy a certain distinction. So here what she is referring to is the, different, um, the status of different levels of heaven. 
that those people who were martyred, those people who were confessors, the people who su suffered and sacrificed themselves for the name of Christ, they would have like a special place in heaven um, to sit. Whereas those on the left here, the left is not describing those people who are wicked. It's just describing other people who are also have salvation, but maybe they did not rise up to the level of the first group who are sitting to the, on, on the right side. Now you are eager to sit with those on the right, but your shortcomings are numerous. However, you will be purified of shortcomings, as will all who are single in purpose. You will be purified of all sins up to this day. With these remarks, she wished to go away. But I fell at her feet and besought her by the Lord to show me the vision she had promised. So he wants to see more. She was going to leave and he wants to see more. And he is feeling like she's speaking to him about the singleness of purpose, meaning that his whole, his whole life is directed and focused on the idea of salvation. And he is not, he's not distracted by any other thing. And so now he's going to see this vision of this tower um, that is being built. Um, he sees this large tower and those six people, those six men that were at the beginning, um, were building this tower out of these large square stones. Okay? And there were many people coming and bringing stones to be used in the construction of this tower that he is seeing being built. Now the tower was being built in the shape of a square by the six young men who had accompanied her. But innumerable other men were bringing along stones, some of them out of the depths of the sea, others from the land. And they were distributing them to the six young men who were taking them and building. All the stones dragged out of the sea they were putting into the building just as they were, for they had been shaped and fitted in the joining with the other stones. In fact, they fit so snugly with one another that the line of contact did not show up. So the stones that were coming um, from the sea, they were fitting them together, and they fit together so well that you couldn't even see like the, the, the crevice between the stones. They, they fit like as though they were one piece. The structure of the tower seemed really to be of one single stone. Of the other stones, those taken from the dry land, some they put into the building, while others were broken up and thrown far away from the tower. But many other stones were lying about the tower and were not being used in the building. For some of them had spots, other cracks, some were chipped, and some white and round, unable to fit in the building. Moreover, I saw other stones thrown at a great distance from the tower and coming to the road without staying on it, but rolling into wastelands. Other stones fell into fire and were burned, while others still fell near water and yet were unable to roll into the water in spite of their desire to roll and come to the water. So he's seeing all these different types of stones. Some of the stones were good and able to be used to build. Some of the stones were not. Some of the stones were burned. Some of the stones were cast away. All the different stones, each kind of stone um, like was treated differently. Okay, So she's now going to explain to him what is the meaning of this vision that he is seeing. Okay, So she tells him that the tower that is being built represents the church. And the tower is built on water because she says, your life has been saved by water and will be so saved. The tower has been put on a foundation by the omnipotent and glorious word of the name, and it is held together by the Lord's invisible power. So saying that the tower, which is the church, is being built on water. Why? Because uh, this is an allusion to baptism. Baptism, it is through baptism that we have salvation in the church, that we begin our, our walk in the church, that we begin our spiritual life. And so the church is built on this water, like which is the water of baptism. Regarding the six men, she says, These are the holy angels of God, the first to be created, to whom he has committed his whole creation, 
to give increase and to build and to have complete control of creation by their agency the building of the tower will be perfected okay so so the these six people are angels that god has set for the for the building of the church and regarding the people who are bringing the stones says these also are god's holy angels but the former six are superior to them with their help then the tower will be perfected and all together will rejoice around the tower and give glory to God because the t building of the tower has been perfected. Okay, so these others who are bringing, dragging these stones, they were also angels. Okay, what do the stones themselves symbolize? These symbolize different classes of the believers based on their deeds, based on what it is that they offer to God. Now, let me tell you about the stones that go into the building. The square white stones that fit accurately in their joinings, these are the apostles, bishops, teachers, and deacons who walk in accordance with God's reverence by administering with purity and sanctity the office of bishops, of teachers, and deacons for God's elect. Some of them rest in the Lord, and some are still living. Now they have always been in mutual agreement. They are at peace with one another and listen to one another. For this reason, the tower building their joinings fit accurately. So the stones that are coming out of the water that fit together very, very precisely, this represents uh, here like the clergy or those people who are teachers, those people who are servants of God and who serve the church. These people are the ones who, it says what, they are at peace with one another and listen to one another, meaning that they have like a singular purpose and they have a singular um, message that they are coming. All are serving God, all have humility and so on. This is like the highest rank of the believers are those people who are these servants of God. Um, and that says for this reason in the tower building, their joinings fit accurately. Regarding the stones dragged from the sea, that fit in with the other stones, the lady explains that these represent those who have suffered for the name of the Lord. Okay, so so the, 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 the other stones that are coming to fit in with these stones represent those who are suffering for God or martyrs, those who have, uh, have sacrificed their life or somehow for, for God. The stones that are coming from the dry land, as she says, these, those going into the building without being cut are the ones the Lord has approved because they walk in the straight way of the Lord and observe strictly his commandments. Okay, so again, there is another category of stones that are not being cut but are fitting into the building. Those who are those who are obedient, those who submit their will to God and, and, and obey his commandments strictly. Um, and then the, the stones that are included in the tower all represent the faithful and the stones that are rejected represent the sinners. Those who are not included in the tower. She says about them, they are sinners who wish to repent because they will have their uses in the building. In case, uh, in case they repent, they are not thrown at a great distance from the tower. Now those who are to repent will be strong in faith when they actually do, uh, provided they repent now while the tower is in process of building. So the stones that are not in the tower, okay, but are, are near the tower, are those who could be in the future included in the tower. Those people who are not, not, not that far away, who could repent of their sins and then be included in the tower. So they were not cast very, very far away, but they were in the vicinity of the tower. Okay. So as the tower is being built, the other thing to realize about this vision is like the building of the tower represents the, the, the life on earth, right? Because the church continues to grow in stones, right? So as new people are 
joining the church. As the believers increase, people are born, they join the church, up until at some point where the world is going to end, it will be the judgment day, and at that point the tower no longer grows because the number of the believers is fixed. Those who already accepted the faith and live a life of faith um, to God have already been determined, and all of those are included in the tower. And so there is no more building after that. So he's saying here, while the pro while the tower is still being built, meaning while we still have an opportunity on earth for repentance and for salvation, these stones can be included in the tower. But if the building has been completed, they no longer have a place and will be castaways. So those people who live to the end of their life without repentance, they no longer have the opportunity to join the tower. What about the discarded stones? So she says, uh, regarding the stones that um, are thrown far from the tower, they are the sons of lawlessness. Their belief was a sham, and wickedness in its fullness has not been wanting in them. Because of their wickedness, therefore, they have no salvation, because they are of no use for the building. Hence they have been broken into fragments and thrown far from the tower, because of the Lord's anger and because they roused him to anger. The many other stones which you see lying around without going into the building are the stones with spots, who knew the truth but failed to persist in it and did not cling to the saints. Consequently, they are useless. So here he's speaking about two types that are discarded. One is the one who is practicing wickedness and refuses to repent and does not change. That's one. And then the other, the one that it says with the spots, are the ones who knew the truth but, but failed to practice it. Right? So maybe one category is the wicked, maybe who do not even know the truth or are far away from God but choose to live a life of wickedness. The second category is a group who are maybe know the truth, maybe who used to be in the church, who know the truth, and yet they have chosen to live a life away from God. And so she says about them, consequently, that they are useless. Then she speaks about the stones that have cracks in them. She says, they are those opposed in their hearts and not at peace with one another. So they have cracks, meaning they cannot fit well together. Remember all the stones that were the very, very uh, fine stones that fit together well? It says they, they had peace with one another. In the church, that we, there's no division or separation between us. We fit together well, and we build the tower of the church well. Whereas these stones that have the cracks, they are not able to fit together well. Um, they are those opposed in their hearts and not at peace with one another. They have only a semblance of peace. But when they leave one another, discord is still in their hearts. These are the cracks in the stones. The stones that are chipped are believers, but for the most part, a certain portion of lawlessness, lawlessness lingers in them. Hence, they are chipped and not perfect in every respect. So the idea that they have a semblance of peace means what? That when they are together... Maybe they try to be polite and they try to be, you know, not getting into any like um, obvious arguments. But in their heart, there isn't love. In their heart, there isn't a sense of sacrifice. There isn't a sense of compassion. There isn't a sense of service. Maybe all it is is just on a surface level. There is just a sense of we are, we are, we are trying to be kind to one another kind of at a superficial way just so that we are, you know, polite. And, 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 but there's nothing deeper than that. It's not the kind of um, 
uh, connection that St. Paul was speaking about when he speaks about the church and how we serve one another and we give ourselves to each other or the kind of love that we speak about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is um, a love that is greater than all things. Here it's just a superficial kind of interaction. Then there were also these white round stones. And the white stones, these, white, these round stones, again, they don't fit into the building with the other stones. Um, here th she says, they, they are those who have the faith, but also the riches of this world. With persecution, when persecution comes, they deny their Lord because of their riches and their business. I answered and said to her, Lady, when will they be useful for the building? Whenever riches that lead their hearts astray have been torn from them, she said, then will they be useful to God. Just as the round stone cannot be made square unless it be cut and lose something, so also the rich in this world cannot be made useful for the Lord unless their riches have been cut out of them. Learn from your own experience. When you were rich, you were useless, but now you are useful and a help to life. Be useful to God, for you yourself have drawn profit from these same stones. So the round stones represent those people who are attached to riches. And those people who are attached to riches are unable to be part of the church because they have a love for money and they are so consumed with this love for money that they don't have a life in the church because they choose to spend all of their time focusing on their wealth, on their prosperity and so on and not of sacrificing themselves um, for God. And so the solution here that, they, that the angel is saying is to cut off the rounded parts to make it into a square. Right? And those rounded parts represent the attachments to the riches. Uh, she says what? Whenever riches that lead their hearts astray have been torn from them, that's when they will be useful for the building. So the idea of tearing off, uh, cutting off these rounded parts, the excess that then leaves a square stone, then that square stone can be added to the building um, and, and become useful for the building. What about the, the remaining stones? So he says, The other stones which you see thrown far from the tower, falling on the road, and rolling off of it into wastelands, are the believers. But in their doubt, they have deviated from their true road, because they have thought they could find a better. So they wander in distress, walking about in wastelands. Those who fall into fire and are burned are the ones who have finally rebelled from the living God into whose hearts repentance no longer enters because of their unbridled lust and the impious acts they put into execution. Do you wish to know who are the other stones that have fallen near the waters and cannot roll there? They are the ones who hear the word and wish to be baptized in the name of the Lord, but then change their mind when they recall the purity of the truth and return to their evil desires. So here, this category of stones she is referring to um, when she says they wander in distress, walking about in wastelands. Like these are the people who are trying to find um, satisfaction and joy in the world. Like the wastelands is like the, the world that provides nothing good for them. They are trying to find satisfaction in what is good in the world, but everything that they accomplish, it, is not, it, is, it, it has no fulfillment or satisfaction in them. So, so they are trying to find um, truth, but on the false road. It says they have deviated from the true road, the true road, which is the road um, of God. And because they, of their passion, um, because of their lust, because of their lack of repentance, their, their hearts no longer feel repentance. Their hearts are like um, 
they are they are um, defiled and they are desensitized to sin and they live a life away from God without even a desire to repent again because they have been so immersed in sin for a long time that they cannot return. And even if in their mind they remember the days when they were with God and they wanted to be with him and yet they, they cannot separate themselves from the wickedness that has for them become an addiction and a way of life. So even when it says what they, those who hear the word and wish to be baptized in the name of the Lord, but then change their mind when they recall the purity of the truth and return to their evil desires. They cannot separate themselves from sin. They want to continue in a life of sin. And so even though there is maybe a part of them that desires to be holy, a part of them that desires to go to God, and yet they remain where they are um, because they cannot overcome those evil desires that they have. So again, these are the stones that are thrown far away from the tower. Do you see seven women around the tower? Yes, lady, I said. This tower is being supported by them in accordance with the Lord's command. Now let me tell you their functions. The first of them, with a strong hand, is called faith. God's elect are saved by her. The second, with the girdle, who looks like a man, is called continence. She is, a she is the daughter of faith. Uh, continence is like moderation. Whoever follows her will be happy in his life, because he will abstain from all evil deeds in the, in the assurance that by abstaining from all evil desire, he will inherit eternal life. Who are the others, lady? They are the daughters one of the other. Their names are simplicity, knowledge, innocence, reverence, and love. When you perform all the acts of their mother, then you are able to live. So here these seven women that are surrounding the tower represent the virtues that we are called to have so that we can be a part of the tower, right? So that we can be holy and righteous to be included as part of the tower, which is the church. Here are the virtues that are mentioned, okay? The first one is faith. And he says, God's elect are saved by her because this is the first, right? This is the first thing we are to practice is faith in God for us even to become believers, okay? But then we are called to continence, which is like self-control. We, we are called to live a life of self-control and not to give up ourselves to the passions, to every worldly desire that we have. We are called to separate ourselves from sinful influences in the world. And then she continues, simplicity, knowledge, innocence, reverence, and love. When you perform all the acts of their mother, when you're, uh, then you are able to live. And she says what um, each one of these is like the daughter of the previous one, right? Like you practice the first one, and through practicing the first one, you develop the second one, and then the third one, and then the fourth one. So it's like a deepening more and more of faith, right? The, the deeper we go on our relationship with God, these virtues begin to manifest themselves in us, more and more and the last one there is love which is the fullness because god is love and when we are we we, we love truly then we are expressing god essentially in us in, in our image lady i said i would like to know what power each of them has you shall be told each has the others and they follow one another in the order in which they are born continence is the daughter of faith Simplicity of continence, innocence of simplicity, reverence of innocence, knowledge of reverence, love of knowledge. Their acts then are pure, reverent, and divine. Whoever serves them and succeeds in mastering their acts will have a dwelling in the tower along with God's saints. Okay. Then I asked 
her whether the consummation of time had yet arrived. And she cried out with a loud voice, saying, Stupid man, do you not know that the tower is still being built? Whenever the building of the tower is completed, that will be the end. But it will be quickly built up. So he's saying, has the time come yet for the judgment? And she's saying, no. The tower is still being built, meaning there's still an opportunity for each person for repentance. Of course, those people who have already died, there is no more opportunity for them because whatever choices they made, they have already made. But those people who are still alive, they still have an, op an opportunity. They still are able to um, live and make good choices. Do not ask me anything anymore. This reminder and the renewal of your souls is sufficient for you and for the saints. Now this revelation is not made for you alone, but to have you make it known to everybody. After three days, for you must understand this first, my command, Hermas, is for you to speak all the words I am about to tell you to the ears of the faithful. Thus, when they hear and do them, they will be cleansed from their wickedness, you along with them. This is the purpose of this vision. The purpose of this vision and this whole work is that when he shares what it is that he saw with the other believers, with the church, that they will um, take it seriously and they will repent and they will turn to God, right? And so this is the purpose for us as well. You know, sometimes um, we, we like to hear stories about miracles. We like to hear stories about visions and things like that or divisions of heaven. Um, and it's very interesting for us to hear and it, and it kind of piques our curiosity. But the, the end result, the end goal of all of this is not just to to be like, oh, that's that's an interesting story or that's an interesting thing or learning about the things that we're going to see in heaven. But it's for us to prepare ourselves, right? This idea of the tower doesn't mean that the church is literally a tower. And it doesn't mean that literally in heaven there is a tower. It is a symbol. It is a symbol and a vision to help us to understand the heavenly things, even though we are human beings and are limited in our understanding. So it is a call for repentance for Hermas, for his family, and for all of us that he wants uh, that, that, that he was asked to share with us. Then there is a warning. She speaks to him about giving to those who are needy and have less and are hungry. So she speaks to him about the need for um, uh, like us to serve those who are needy. She says, "Keep your eyes on the judgment to come. Seek out those who are hungry." so long as the tower is not yet finished. You who have a superabundance, for after the completion of the tower, you will be wishing to do good and will not have an opportunity. Now then, you who pride yourselves on your wealth, take care lest the in indigent groan at any time and their groan mount up to the Lord and you and your goods be shut out from the door of the tower. So he's saying there will be a time when you are realizing how much time that you wasted um, and not doing good when you had the chance, and that you will wish that you would have a chance again to go and to do good, but the opportunity will have passed. You will no longer have the chance. Like er anyone, for instance, who you know is standing in judgment, and God is judging them for, let's say, the way that we wasted our time. In that moment, we wish that we could go back and use the time differently, but, but it, it's too late at that point. So he's saying, focus on those people who are in need, you who have superabundance, like God is saying, I gave you so much so that you could go share it with others. Don't just hoard it and keep it for yourself or pride yourselves on the wealth that you have or desire to show off the wealth that you have. Instead, go and give it to others um, because those people who are uh, groaning and suffering and poverty, their groaning mounts up to the Lord. Like God hears 
the, the voices of their suffering and their groaning, and he is calling you to give to them. That's like a, a warning to the rich. What about a warning to the church leaders? She says, watch then, my children, lest these dissensions deprive you of your life. How do you expect to correct the elect of the Lord if you have no instruction yourselves? Correct yourselves then and live in peace with one another that I for my part may take my stand before the Father and joyfully give account of you to your Lord. So to those people who are the church leaders, they are receiving this warning. It's like, do not let uh, lest the, these dissensions deprive you of life, like arguments and divisions and quarreling. And, and she's saying, um, how is it that you expect to, to teach the others for salvation if you yourself have no instruction? If you yourself do not understand and do not live according to the gospel, how is it that you are going to teach others the same message for their own salvation? So she says, correct yourselves. Live in peace with one another that I, for my part, may then like praise you before God. So, so, so a warning to the church leaders to have peace with one another and to have learning and understanding for the sake of the salvation of the people. Um, then at this point, Hermas, he wanted to understand why the woman who appeared to him appeared different in every vision he saw. So this woman who represents the church, this angel, every time he saw her, she looked different. Okay, She started out as old, like an elderly lady, and over time she became younger and younger and more youthful every time. Okay, And so the angel is explaining why is it that her form was changing. So regarding the first form, which was the elderly form, she says what? I shall tell you. Uh, he, he, he said about the three forms about which you are inquiring. Why did she appear to you? Uh, so I think he's speaking to a different angel now about the first one. So he's saying, um, I shall tell you about the three forms about which you are inquiring. Why did she appear to you as an elderly lady sitting on a chair in the first vision? Because your spirits were old and already wasting away and infirm from your softness and divided purposes. So it's like saying that we as the church, because we are the church, we are the body of Christ. It's like as we are the church are old in the sense that we are not youthful in spirit, but we are kind of um, old, inflexible, not active, not working, not serving, right? So it was a representation of that, that oldness um, when she spoke to him. The second form, which was a little younger and more youthful, he says, because the Lord has had mercy on you and has made your spirits young again, you put aside your weaknesses, strength returned to you, and you were made mighty in the faith, while the Lord at the sight of your strengthening rejoiced. For this reason, he made clear to you the building of the tower and will clarify other matters, provided you live wholeheartedly at peace with one another. So he, as, as he is seeing this vision of the tower, this... Uh, angel representing the church is younger and and that it's like he is gaining in knowledge and faith and understanding um and because god has had mercy on him then the third form says in the third vision you saw her as a younger lady beautiful and joyous and her appearance too was beautiful for a man immediately forgets former sorrows when good news comes in the midst of grief he excludes everything except the good news he has heard he gets strength to do in the future, and his joy, his spirit is rejuvenated. So also did you receive a rejuvenation of soul at the sight of these benefits. So the man, as he sees kind of the truth of salvation, he has hope in himself that salvation is attainable and that God is giving him mercy and second chance and calling him to repentance. And so he has inside of him a joy. The joy is that I am not far from God. 
The joy is that none of us are, are, are separated from God and that we have every opportunity every day to draw closer and closer again and God is having mercy on us. So there is a joy which is represented by this youngest form um, of the church. This is all we're going to cover today. Um, does anyone have any questions or comments before we conclude? Yes. No, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong about any of this, right? And it's not to say that we don't believe that it's true. But something being canonical means that it is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is without error, right? Is without error. So there's nothing here that would say that it's not possible that he could make an error in something because it's a human work. It's a human author. Whereas the books that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, we believe that they are written by the Holy Spirit. And so there can be no error in them. So there could be many good books, like even like modern authors that are, you know, orthodox authors. They write good books and we read them and we encourage people to read them and the church supports them. But that doesn't mean that there, are, there couldn't be a flaw. I mean, when it comes to the books uh, that we accept from the Bible, um, they were they were the books that were written by the apostles, and they were um, circulated among all of the churches, and they became the de facto scriptures at the time. Because at the at the time, there were there was no Bible book, right? So whenever one of the apostles would write a letter. It would be copied and it would be it would be transferred around to all of the churches, and it was understood that this was a message of from God to the churches. So later on, um, in the in the ecumenical councils around the time of the ecumenical councils in Saint Athanasius, he wrote a letter which essentially listed all of the books that at the time the church believed to be the ones inspired by the Holy Spirit, and there was a, a there was a big consensus about that. What the specific test is to say, okay, this book is it. Is it inspired by the Holy Spirit or not? I don't know if, if there's, it's, it's not really a test. It's more just how did it develop over time and how was it used by the church and understood to be the direct word of God to the church from the very beginning, which is why we don't, which is why we don't believe that there's more canonical books since then. Like, like we don't believe that any writings of modern authors are canonical, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean they're not useful right but but we reserve that class of those things who are inspired by the holy spirit to be like a very narrow group um, of books but again it doesn't mean that we don't believe this it just means that it's it it we don't believe it is without flaw necessarily okay i don't know if that answers your question but that's the best answer i can I, I don't know the discussion, but, but the word discussion is the right word because everything is based on consensus, right? So, so we believe that the Holy Spirit guides the council. We believe the Holy Spirit guides the synod. So there might be an individual person who has an opinion, but that opinion might not be the right opinion. But we believe that if, if, uh, if the largest majority of people all agree that this is something inspired by the Holy Spirit, then we have high confidence that this is what 
is is th this is what is true as opposed to an individual because you're right there are some people that thought this was canonical and at the very beginning of the church some people considered it so but the majority did not and over time as the, the canon of scripture developed the majority said no this is not we do not consider this to be canonical and i can tell you in some cases specifically um, i don't know about this but in some cases specifically there were some books that we consider like a specific part of it to be wrong right and so we, we don't consider it to be canonical because there's an error in it so if we consider this is er this is an error like a, like an error in that contradicts the bible let's say right so we say this cannot be canonical because this is against the scripture that's just one example of how something might be considered not canonical how do you prove that something is canonical again like this is discussion that happens between the, the bishops yeah okay any other okay let's pray In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you for every opportunity that you teach us and you help us to discover the richness of the church writings and those people who came before us and the things that they learned and they saw and they wrote down. Help us, O Lord, to always be mindful of what the church is teaching us, to protect us, O Lord, from all of the things that are around us today that are a distraction or that are wicked or sinful or lead us to sin. Strengthen us, O God, and grant us a hope for you and a desire to be with you and a desire, O Lord, to give of ourselves for your sake. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.